I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Indeed we do, Gabby. Indeed we do. Debunking indeed. Always and forever. <laughs> That's how we do. We had 100 episodes. That's wild. I can't we believe. We did. Wow. We did 100 episodes. I feel like we yeah. should have celebrated that more. <laughs> We're both. Okay. But here's the thing. And it's one of the reasons why we are once again recording on a Saturday morning. Her voices may sound a little deeper and more tired than normal. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but we know our schedules have been both particularly, I mean, huh, we're always busy, but um, I've been filming my horror shorts. And so yep. my days are 12 to 14 hours and, and you've had a million and one things going on. True, true. You've been traveling too. Just a like, bit, you know. Yeah. So we've had to adjust our schedule a little. So by the time the hundred kind of like, oh yeah, Snuck that's up 100 on episodes. There it is. That's, we did that thing. We did uh, it. But I, I will say, I think uh, we have a couple exciting topics coming up over the next few months as we start to get into spooky season. Ooh, spooky season. I'm like, it's almost it's, August. It's almost August. Oh, spooky season for me starts when 100 Days of Horror starts. That's and 100 true. Days of Horror has started, my friends. That is true. It started. And, uh, and so, yeah. very excited for the mm-hmm. upcoming season and also i'm pretty sure that we have some new listeners so would love to (laughs) just say hi friends welcome um if you haven't listened to us yet you have homework um (laughs) also welcome we enjoy new listeners and uh tell your friends Bring, bring some more uh you know who is telling their friends oh who is telling their friends Okay, so uh, I, I talk about Norma and David every so often on the podcast. Yes, your parents. They're lovely we, humans. We love my parents. Uh, I was visiting them. They live in, in Medford, Oregon. And one of the things we like to do is go to wineries. Oh, of course. <laughs> we have we have bonded over our mutual love of wine. And that's also probably where I get my love of wine. Uh, and there's there's a particular winery called Chriselle. Mm-hmm. It's great. If you are in the Medford area, I do recommend that you check out Chriselle. I swear they're not sponsoring us. I was going to say, we don't have a sponsorship or anything. (laughs) No, they're just really awesome. My parents have a membership there. And so we usually go there when I'm visiting. And it's in this really lovely location. So it's very pretty. And uh, they've got this great outdoor seating area. And they just have damn good wine. But uh, one of the employees there, also named Kim. Fantastic name. Best name. name. And, uh, you know, I- I've seen her a number of times and I've gone there and-, and my dad is very sociable. And so he's, you know, like, hey, and gets everyone's life story. And uh, she had mentioned liking true crime podcasts. So Norma, after she walked away, was like, you got to tell her you have a podcast. I was like, nope, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy, Norma. So Norma was that guy for us and, <laughs> and told her about our podcast. And she started listening. So when they were in the winery a few weeks ago, she said she started listening and she very much enjoys the podcast. And so, uh, Kim, we're giving you a shout out. Thank you for listening. Yay! And Name uh, twin. thank you, Norma, for. <laughs> Norma's the best patron. She, she is. She not only dedicates finances to the page, Patreon, <laughs> but she also is our number one promoter. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Thank you. That's They're a shout out to the sponsor of Norma Douthit. That is Kim Douthit's mother. Thank you. Norma. And David Douthit. And David Douthit. It's a kind of a joint joint sponsorship thing, especially since they don't listen to the podcast that much because spooky things are not quite. Well, mostly David. David is not the biggest Your spooky mom things loves person. It. My mom does, but uh, but like that's what kind of makes the support extra special. Yeah. When it's like, this isn't really my thing, but I still think it's awesome you do that. I think that's awesome. So they'll probably hear this now that I've talked about it that much. They're kind of, they'll probably listen to this bit. So anyway. Nice. Uh, but well, if you have your own new listener story, yes, send it our way. We'd love to hear it. Also, check us out on Instagram and message us there because that's the best place to like communicate if you're one of those people that's like, I want to say hi, but I don't know how. Uh, we don't really <laughs> check the Facebook very often, guys. I don't, I'm, I'm like never on Facebook. <gasps> Facebook! Um, yeah, and honestly, the Twitter has been such a, I don't know, is it still Twitter now? It's X, gonna give it to you or whatever. Oh, um, I don't even, I'm sorry. I, I'm not good I at know, this game. I've kind of backed off on that just because I don't know what's going on on Twitter, and I have a hard enough time with my own yes. twits. So, twits. So, uh, my IG, if you would like to say hello, yeah. find us on Instagram, Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Also, if you like what we do, go to Patreon and give us some of your money, please, mm-hmm. and then money we'll give please. you extra content because it's fun on there. Um, it is. Anyway, that's, that's our just plug. A pl- our plug. Plug for ourselves. <laughs> uh, we mm-hmm. sponsor ourselves. Uh, we that do. is true. Um, but yeah, we have a topic to talk about today. You have a cool topic oh. to topic out to words. Wow. <laughs> this is what happens on Saturday mornings. I do have a very cool topic. Um, you do. So, okay. I hope you're ready for a story with just a plethora, a little bit of everything, if you will. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, what's his name from SNL? Stefan. It's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. We have murder. We have <gasps> legends. Legends. We have lore. lore. We even have a curse. Sinister influences. <gasps> Heck, we even have a haunting. All wrapped up in the bow of a classic story of a murder-suicide <gasps> and a haunted house. Mm. A fairly well-known one. At mm-hmm. that. Sure. Yeah. We don't always cover super well known topics. And yeah. I think that's kind of been like our thing is like, mm-hmm. let's not cover things that everybody knows because everybody <gasps> knows about them already. And what people if, have done it. If, if we don't have, like, if we have something we feel like new to kind of contribute to it or our own take on it. But yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you. I, I like some of our obscure, because man, I have to say personally, that's what's led me to now some of my greatest obsessions that I'm shocked people don't talk about. Thank you, Jake Bird. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that happens to the best of us. And this is definitely a case of that, mm-hmm. of a story that I heard about growing up in Los Angeles. And it's always through the grapevine and the Internet that's sure. like the abyss of the Internet. That You're <laughs> like, how legitimate is this source? Mm-hmm. Um, what is actually happening? Is this real? Did Ghost Adventures cover it? What Wait. did they say? Uh, like that kind of thing, right? Like sometimes we have to do our own due diligence to be like, but mm-hmm. what, what really happened? Um, and most people have heard of the Los Feliz murder mansion. If you have the internet, <laughs> you've probably heard about it. If you're listening to our podcast, you've probably heard about it because you like the kind of stuff that we like. 
dark tourism is a fun thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as someone who grew up in Los Angeles, I definitely had heard about it outside of the Internet through people that I I would hang out with and have even driven past the house back when I lived there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been a topic I've personally had on my list of something I've wanted to cover. We've talked about it before in passing outside of the podcast, Mm -hmm. and I've always known it to be kind of a sad but weird and kind of creepy story. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't know about the Los Feliz murder mansion, um, it's a tale of murder-suicide in the Mm -hmm. 50s during Christmas time, where a doctor had killed his wife with a ball-peen hammer, attempted to kill his daughter, and then killed himself with Nembutal and pills. Mm-hmm. This would be a great time to say there's going to be talk of a little bit of suicide in here because I just talked mm-hmm. about it. I'm mm-hmm. going to be talking about it a little bit later, not in detail, but in case you're sensitive to this type of stuff, we talk about murder a lot. So like this is this is one of those times. So just know that. Now, what's really interesting about this particular story is that the house had been left in the state that it was in, allegedly. Allegedly. When the murders happened for decades. Mm. It was a literal 1950s time capsule. Jeez. Internet rumors said that up until about 2015, there Mm -hmm. was still a Christmas tree and wrapped (gasps) presents left in the house from the horrible night in 1959. Jeez. Trespassers have even found SpaghettiOs and Life magazines. And you don't have to look super hard for someone to say, hey, yo, this place is haunted. Yeah. But no one really seems to know why Harold Perelson would have done it or why the house would be left to decay for more than 50 years, left as though someone just went out of town and never came back. But why would no one go in and remove these items? Why would they leave it? like that for such Mm -hmm. a long time like who owned it after afterward like why did they leave it that way it just seems kind of bizarre and strange like i have questions we have questions questions. Mm -hmm. this was once a lovely house in a desirable neighborhood abandoned to just piles of trash Mm. homeless people trying to you know stay there thrill-seeking trespassers like uh my friend, uh, Matt Bruce, uh, who was actually on our uh, <laughs> podcast a really long time ago talking about the Cecil Hotel. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's actually a murder mystery bus tour, too. <laughs> of course there is. Um, not going to lie, would take it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm too big of a baby to trespass, <laughs> like too much of a goody two shoes that I also just worry about getting arrested. But, you know. <laughs> That's why I have Matt to do things for me. Um, I'm too big of a baby to admit uh, in a recording that I've done anything. (laughs) Well, to be fair, we'll come back to Matt later because there are stories that something sinister influenced these murders and that the place Mm. is haunted, as we mentioned before. But, you know, and I saw it was also for sale a few times. Never really did a deep dive on it Mm -hmm. until now. So, today, we will be discussing part one of the Los Feliz murder mansion. This is going to be a two-parter because, ooh, this is a lot of juicy info. Yeah. I could not fit this into one episode. If I did, y'all would fall asleep because it would be too long. (laughs) So, this is going to be a two-parter. 
The first part, um, we're going to deep dive into what actually happened that horrible night. Uh-huh. The history of the family. Why did he do it? Mm. Look more into that. Talk a little bit about the house itself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have to wrap our head around why someone would do such a thing. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for part two. During part two, we'll get into the history of the actual house, some other weird stuff that happened before these murders, mm-hmm. and why it was abandoned for such a long time. Who owned mm-hmm. it? What happened? Where did the birth of this dark tourism come from? Um, and also, <laughs> what still potentially lingers? Can you guess mm-hmm. what still potentially lingers? Uh, ghosts. 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 That's it. Yep. Ah, that's the one. <laughs> Is it ghosts? It's ghosts. It's nice. Ghosts. Yes. So let's get into it, shall we? All right. All right. So I have to give a shout out to Jeff Mache at medium.com. Um, there is a lot of information on the internet, as we know, as I mentioned earlier, that may not be accurate. Um, and he actually did a really great job tracking down a lot of the history of this place and the actual facts of what happened. It did some like really incredible investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be referencing that. Um, there's also a podcast called The Los Feliz Murder Mansion podcast. There you go. They have <laughs> literally like seven episodes just on this. And so, you know, if you like this story and want to learn more detail, I encourage you to go listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to just give you guys, you know, an idea of what happened and try to base it on facts, right? Okay. Like that's mm-hmm. that's kind of where we're starting this off. So let's talk about the house. The Spanish Revival Mansion sits atop a hill at 2475 Glendower Place in Los Feliz at the foot of Griffith Park, which last oh. episode we <laughs> talked about Griffith Park. We did talk about it. And what did we talk about at Griffith Park, Kim? Uh, murders and hauntings. Like, Oh, they, yeah. There's a lot of them that happen there. There is some spooky shit in L.A., guys. Like, yeah. truly. I don't think people talk about it enough. And Mm -hmm. having lived there as long as I did, I had no idea until I moved. Um, So what's nuts um, is, yeah, Griffith Park has a pretty extensive history. And this is literally right next to it. That's awesome. Um, It's at the eastern end of the Santa Monica Mountains. And if you don't know Los Feliz, if I ever move back to LA, I would love to live in Los Feliz. It's a cute neighborhood these days. Um, There's lots of independent shops, coffee shops. It is expensive. Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. Very pricey. Um, But it's really, really cute. I would live there in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Also, really cool old houses. Love it. Now, truly, this is another haunting of Hill House situation. (laughs) Not to be confused with the previous episode where we talked about El Mio, the house right. on the hill. <laughs> right. Also, hmm. not to be confused with the actual house that was used to film the exterior of 1959's The House on Haunted Hill. Ooh. In which a sinister doctor dumps a body into a vat of acid. That movie. Right. That's literally up the hill from the Los Feliz murder mansion at 2607 Glendower Avenue. It was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright and formerly mm. called the Ennis House. Mm-hmm. So that's just up the street from the Los Feliz murder mansion. The literal house that was used to film that movie. Um, so 
lots of spooky houses on the hills in these here parts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this particular house was built in 1925, the Los Feliz Murder Mansion. Mm-hmm. And it was designed by Harry Weiner. <laughs> Um, mm. Or Harry Werner, depending on who you ask. <laughs> I know which um, one I would say. Also, what a name. Um, That's a great one name. Of the, some of the research that I found was that in the actual handwritten documents of the back in the day before typewriting and, and all of that, people would handwrite deeds. And um, I guess someone wrote his name in cursive and someone might have confused the R for an I. And so... It was actually Harry Werner, but a lot of documentation says Harry Weiner, but also put a name. Uh, wow. Now, when Harold Perelson acquired the home in the 1950s, it was described as, quote, a delightful 12-room home with terraced lawns, artistic gardens, and a magnificent view. Sidebar, this episode will have a hashtag everyone's named Harry <laughs> hashtag. Aww, we haven't had one of those hashtags in a while. We haven't. But as I was doing research, I was like, dang, nobody was creative with names at this point in time. It's either Harold or Harry. You got lots of these guys. Lots of Harry, well, not all Harry Wieners, but like one Harry (laughs) Wiener. Harry Wiener. Um, There there was a lot of Harry Wieners gathered. Tell me more about the Harry Wieners. You know, depends on uh, which perspective you'd like to take. Anywho. Not that kind of podcast. (laughs) Not that kind of podcast. Um. This house had a special tiled entrance hall and a really beautiful stairway that led to a charming living room, a glass conservatory, a dining room, den, breakfast nook, kitchen, you name it, they got it. Uh, on may the second I, floor, sure. Oh, I was saying, may I ask, are there pictures of the pre-dilapidated, uh, crumbling, haunted murder house? Do we have pictures surviving of what it looked like? We have pictures surviving of the exterior but not the interior. Not the interior. Oh, that's a bummer. But there are documentations, which I'll get to in the future, mm-hmm. um, and that you can hear about on that podcast I mentioned mm-hmm. that literally mm-hmm. details handwritten what it looked like when it was first built on the interior by the mm. initial owners. Okay. Um, so, but because it's not super relevant to this, I didn't want to get into it here. Yeah. No, that's but fair. you can f- like find a description of it if you want to. Sure. Um, actual photos, unfortunately, I've, I've not been able to track them down, but I, I don't know. Maybe somebody else can. Um, somebody else named Kim Dalpit. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, um, it was beautiful. It, uh, upstairs had a second floor that had four master bedrooms and three baths. And the third floor, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Uh, had a bar and a ballroom. <gasps> what? And the basement had staff quarters. So this was like a pretty serious like basically four-story home if you include the basement wow um and it sounds pretty bougie because yeah it was it was it was a beautiful home and up on a hill there were like 51 steps that you had to go up to get to it so it was a bit of a hike um and there was a garage at the first floor so if you parked you had to still go all the way up the stairs to get to the house but, you know, it wasn't as lovely as it would seem to be in the winter of 1959. On this grim night at 4.30 in the morning on December 6th, 1959, cardiologist Harold Perelson struck his sleeping wife Lillian in the head with a mm. ball-peen hammer mm. and then left her to asphyxiate on her own blood. Seeing what he had done, Harold turned and walked out of the room to go to his elder daughter's bedroom 
where her name was marked on a sticker on the light switch. Mm. He then struck her without warning over the head with the same hammer. Mm. His daughter, Judy, didn't suffer the same blow as her mom and let out such a blood curdling scream that neighbors on Glendower Place sat upright in their beds. Mm. Harold told Judy, lay still, keep quiet. But Judy did not. Heck yeah, Judy. Yeah, go Judy. Their neighbor, Sherry Lewis, can still remember the screams. Mm. She had a young friend visiting for a sleepover, and they panicked when they heard it. Mm-hmm. At first, it sounded like a wild animal screaming, Lewis said. And then she recognized Judy's voice yelling, don't kill me. Mm. Inside her bedroom, Judy somehow escaped her bloodied father. She ran into her parents' bedroom, where she unfortunately saw the traumatic vision of her deceased mom at the hand of her dad. Mm. She bolted, ran next door to Sherry Lewis's house, and desperately banged on the door covered in blood. She didn't get an answer, so she began hammering on the French windows next to the front door, smearing them fully with blood. Uh. Upstairs, Sherry and her friend were frozen in fear and didn't go down to open the door, <laughs> which is, like, rude. But also, like, that's terrifying. But I, yeah. I get it. I, I, I think about, like, being... if. Me being home alone and somebody pounding on my door like that, I it would uh, it would be freaky. It'd be freaky. Yeah. Like you want to help somebody, but you also don't know what's happening. And and if you're alone, or if you're you know, especially as women. Mm-hmm. And Sherry was young. She was yeah. a teenager. Yeah. Oh. So Judy abandoned Sherry's house and went tried another neighbor named Marshall Ross who finally opened his door, and together they called the police. Now, back at the house, when Judy's two younger siblings woke up, Harold told them, go back to bed. This is a nightmare. Oh, jeez. Then he walked away, dripping in blood, covering the floor with blood. Can you imagine Mm. just being Mm. these kids, waking up to, like, screams, and seeing your dad covered in blood, telling you, "Go go back to bed. This is a nightmare. That's... Wild. I mean, it, at least he didn't go after them. True, because he could have. He went after he his wife yeah. and his daughter and mm-hmm. then these two younger kids. Um, meanwhile, Marshall Ross, the, the neighbor who had called the police, mm-hmm. decided he needed to like, go to the house. There's still kids inside, so he needed to like help. So good on Marshall. Yeah. Uh, he climbed the steps to the house where he found 11-year-old Debbie and 13-year-old Joel waiting on the first floor. Mm-hmm. He figured that there was still danger around, so instead of leaving, he went up to the second story and came face to face with Harold, who told him, "Go on home. Don't bother me." Mm. Uh, and that was all actually according to the coroner's report. Mm. So Ross watched the doctor walk into the bathroom and didn't see him after that. Harold took two capsules of Nembutal, which, if you don't know, is a barbiturate. Mm-hmm. It's actually known as death in a bottle. And a favorite of suicide seekers hoping Mm. for a quick death. Uh, Fun fact, it is the same medication that was taken by Judy Garland. Mm -hmm. And he really didn't want to live. So just to make sure he didn't survive, he actually chased it with 31 small white pills believed to be codeine or some kind of powerful tranquilizer. Mm. He then laid down on his bed next to his deceased wife and waited for the drugs to kick in. 
It took 15 minutes for the police cars to get there from the Hollywood station. At 5.15 a.m., LAPD detectives Anderson and Pozo arrived on the scene, but by the time they found the doctor, he was on the floor. His head was laying on a pillow covered in his daughter's blood, and the hammer was still in his hand. Mm. He was still alive, but just barely breathing, and would be dead before the ambulance would arrive. Mm. The police discovered on a nightstand next to Perelson's bed a copy of Dante's The Divine Comedy, opened to Canto One, mm. where it said, Midway, upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. Hold on to that. Okay. We're going to come back to theories about that later. Okay. The coroners who inspected Lillian's body, his wife, um, found out that uh, the whites of her eyes were actually fully blood red. So she Mm. had died of asphyxiation, um, which is so rough. Um, And the Lewises next door were actually friends of the Perelsons. So Sherry Lewis, who we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So their daughter, Sherry, actually used to babysit the kids from time to time. So she was Mm. close with them. She was 14 and had grown up in the shadow of their home, um, were directly across from from the house. Mm -hmm. And she was actually interviewed as an adult about this experience, about her relationship with the Perelsons. She said, we were all walking around in a state of panic. My mother was highly strung. She and Harold were good friends. But why would he do it? The question remains. Like, did he have a mental break? Was something mm-hmm. more sinister influencing him? Mm-hmm. And in order to really understand, we really need to go back and learn about the Perelson family and the history leading up to this point. So we're going to go back in time. Okay, to let's do it. Learn a little bit about Harold. Hashtag everyone's named Harry. Everyone's named Harry. Um, Harold Perelson was born on February 1st, 1909 in New York to a family of Eastern European immigrants. Mm. His father, Henry, not to be confused with Harry, (laughs) was a Polish printer's clerk and his mom, Molly, was Russian. Mm. They had fled Eastern Europe to escape imperial impression, as one does, um, and they settled on Pitkin Avenue in Queens. Mm. Harold grew up the eldest of four children and mm-hmm. was sent to medical school where he loved it. He had a really um, entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. a quick mind, but he decided that New York just wasn't for him. So mm-hmm. he decides to venture over to Southern California mm-hmm. and ended up getting a job in Inglewood at a physician's office. Okay. Ended up publishing several papers in the field of neurology. Mm-hmm. And later became a cardiology professor at the USC School of Medicine. Hmm. My stepdad went to USC. My best oh. friend works at USC. <laughs> All right. Everyone works at USC. I guess so. I guess it is a little close to home for me to hear about this stuff. So it's interesting. Mm. As a doctor, uh, Harry married Lillian Silver, who was mm-hmm. actually another second generation immigrant. And she was from Cuyahoga. <laughs> sure. Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Wow, I can talk today. This is fun. Now, they had three children. They had Judy, Debbie, and Joel, as mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And when the Perelsons first moved into their Los Feliz home in the early 1950s, they only paid $60,000 for it. Jeez. Ah. Which, like, at the time, 
would equate to about half a million dollars today. So like 500,000, which like is still cheap considering (laughs) what it was for this time. Don't get me started on real estate right now. Um, (laughs) But for the son of a Polish clerk, this was a really big deal. This home, it was beautiful. It was huge. But they had just had a handful of like financial issues. So it's kind of surprising that Perelson bought this house, um, you know, especially since they had just had a pretty significant financial problem. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Sherry, the neighbor said that Perelson was quite a mild-mannered man, but he seemed to have a lot of financial trouble. Money. Money problems. Money problems. So there were a handful of financial troubles that festered prior to moving into the home as well as after. And it caused some serious distress for Harold. So Dr. Harold Perelson was an injection specialist. Fun fact. fact. Uh, On December 30th, 1938, again, prior to moving into the home, He actually filed a patent for his invention of a new medical device. Hmm. And after developing the device for a decade, in 1949, he entered into a verbal agreement with a dude named Edward Shustak. He had actually hoped that uh, Edward would turn, quote, the general idea of his product into a full-blown medical success. So he trusted him. And like I mentioned, verbal agreement. Sure. What do you not do when you're doing, I don't know, business, verbal agreements? You shouldn't write things down. Because it's the he said, she said. Exactly. And this actually ended up biting him in the butt pretty significantly. Perelson and Shustak initially agreed to split the profits. And initially, Harold and Lillian sunk $24,496 into the project, which at the time, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, Lillian actually contributed $7,000 just from her own savings to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Now, according to court documents, Shustak spent 11 more years developing the magic syringe for sale, but never gave the doctor any of the money. So, Perelson files a complaint, July 21st, 1952, claiming that Shustak, using a fake name, took his rights away from the device. Basically, a shady corporation, quote, masked the deception of fraud, end quote. The court heard, and the doctor was double-crossed. So Uh, he's pissed, rightfully. Ends up suing, demanding $100,000. At the time, that's nearly a million dollars in today's money. Yeah. Um, And after two long years of expensive legal posturing, the court only gave Perelson $23,956, which, if you remember how much he invested, is actually less Mm -hmm. than what he initially invested. Just over like a third or so, right? He originally invested almost $25,000, and he Mm. only got back almost $24,000. Sorry, my apologies. No, that's okay. (laughs) So he lost basically $1,000. He lost $1,000, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And the syringe never even got to the market after all that, which Uh, is unfortunate. So that messed him up pretty significantly. This is over mm -hmm. a decade of a struggle, right? Jeez. Also overlapping the time in which he purchased the house. Sure. And so lots of financial movement at this time. Mm -hmm. Then on November 3rd, 1957, their daughter Judy was driving her siblings in her dad's 52 Oldsmobile. Uh, she crossed the intersection of Vermont and Los Feliz Boulevards. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where that is. I love it. Uh, she crashed into another car. 
Judy suffered hand and knee injuries, a concussion, and severe shock. Mm-hmm. Joel had a head injury and severe shock to the nervous system. Uh, Deborah just had a cut on her cheek, but still, it was pretty traumatizing for these kids. Mm-hmm. The other driver, Eleanor Keller, claimed that Judy, who was 16 at the time, mm-hmm. drove through a red light without looking. But Dr. Perelson was like, mm, no, um, I'm taking you to court. And mm-hmm. uh, Eleanor, you are careless and negligent and you caused the crash. He then demands $20,000 in damages for each daughter and a further $10,000 for his son. So if you're doing math, that's $50,000 that he is demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he won... The court only gave them enough to cover their medical bills. Mm. And so, you know, yes, he won, but it was still a blow to their their finances. Huh. Quote, my family are on the merry-go-round again. Same problems, same worries, only tenfold. End quote. Judy wrote to her aunt just before the murder-suicide in 1959. Mm-hmm. My parents, so to speak, are in a bind financially. Now, neighbor Sherry Lewis recalls details about Judy. I think it's important to also talk about, like, victims, even though Judy lived. Oh, absolutely. She described Judy as an uncomplicated teenager who was mm-hmm. too old to be considered a friend. I was 14 mm-hmm. at the time. Judy would come over to our house with some regularity. Mm-hmm. Yearbooks from Barrister High School in 1958 said that Judy was pretty popular. She was a part of the Girls League <laughs> and a secretary of the student body. Outside of school, she was an usherette at the Huntington Hartford Theater on Hollywood and Vine, which was, Hmm. like, a super glitzy mid-century auditorium um, Hmm. covered in, like, white Vermont marble and gold fittings. Pretty bougie. She also loved shopping for shoes. Hmm. I get it. And uh, she actually was driving a sports car just before the killings, a Mm. news report uh, newspaper said, suggesting that the Perelson family's reversal in fortunes had not affected her spending, Hmm. which um, probably didn't really sit well with her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least help with the financial issues, which if we're thinking about motive, sit on that for a second. Okay. Um, money problems also had taken their toll on the doctor's health. Uh, he had a couple of coronaries and they put him on a coronary ward, uh, or into the coronary ward. We're called Sherry Lewis, but her mm-hmm. dad, Sherry Lewis's father was an attorney and he thought something was up. So he did some digging and this is a quote. He got court records. It came out that Perelson's coronaries were actually not coronaries, but suicide attempts. It's Mm. not atypical for someone who has suicide attempts to then go after the people who have created the problem. It came out that his wife was, or the doctors, Mm -hmm. were going to have him committed, or she had to do it at the end of a certain discrete period of time, end quote. Mm. Mm. Speaking of motive, there's some more. Mm Mm-hmm. So could money be the main reason that Harold snapped? Or was there something else going on? Was there like a weird energy in this house? Was there something more sinister influencing Harold to commit such acts? Mm -hmm. Was the divine comedy that he left on his bedside table a hint toward the answer? Truly, we will never know. Quote, maybe the true terror of this house is the very real specter of a loving father and husband who turned into a hammer-wielding killer, a doctor with a bathroom full of narcotics and ready to shoot syringes, failure gnawing at his mind and darkness eclipsing his soul. He is a stubborn monster more frightening than any horror movie trope. 
that his mm. story li- lives on in the internet forums and local lore in a chilling reminder that this could happen to any family, even yours, end quote. Mm. Now, Dr. David Adams is a psychologist who specializes in husbands who commit family side. Mm-hmm. He says that a man who murders his wife and at least one child tends to be an older dude, someone in his 50s, mm-hmm. uh, and an average of seven years older than the wife. Dr. Perelson was 50, mm-hmm. and he was eight years older than Lillian. Mm-hmm. Many of these guys, these types of perpetrators, are very invested in their public image, he says. When there is a prospect that their reputation or status can be harmed, they suffer a narcissistic injury. Mm. Their murders are almost like a type of damage control, end quote. Mm-hmm. So it is likely, Dr. Adam believes, that the doctor's mental health and the threat of losing his position and livelihood as a doctor, if he was committed, right, mm-hmm. tipped him over the edge. Though he didn't leave a suicide note, uh, he did leave the Divine Comedy, uh, which kind of says a lot. Um, yeah. And, you know, it literally said that he was, um, you know, midway upon a journey of his life who had lost his way and had found myself within a dark forest. That's mm-hmm. like almost literal of what it's saying on the page. Mm. So what's interesting, though, is that the bizarre tale of this murder-suicide and abandonment of the home, which I mentioned earlier was abandoned for like 50-plus years. Right. It's not the first time that something like this happened on the property. Did you know Mm, that? I did not. So there actually was a couple. The first couple that moved into this house when it was built in 1925. The couple that actually hired someone to design this house for them. That ended up both passing away in this house in the same year. For kind of bizarre reasons, granted, not a suicide murder situation, but both dying within the same year, just a couple of years into the time that they, like, moved in. And the house was also left, furnished, abandoned for years. Kind of wild. I actually didn't know that until I researched this. So, in part two of the Los Feliz murder mansion... We're going to dig into the original history of the home, Uh, the history that inevitably repeated itself, and discuss what happened to the home then after the Perelson incident, including why was it abandoned for so long? Who owned it? What did they do with it? Why did they leave it as though people were still living there? Was there something more sinister that was preventing people from even wanting to live in a space that has such high property value in the middle of Los Feliz, but that no one would live in? We're Mm. also going to talk about the paranormal. (gasps) Yay! And you know what's actually like even more fun (laughs) that I discovered in my research is that um, it was recently in a reality real estate show. (laughs) Of course it was. Which really got me pumped. The, like, My Haunted House no. or... Oh. No. This isn't a reality real estate show that has nothing to do with haunted stuff, but it was in it. Oh. And I don't want to give it away yet. Okay. We're going to talk about it on the next episode. Okay. So 
But you know I was excited to be like, oh, of I have course. to watch a shitty reality show for I this know. episode. That's And it wasn't Ghost Adventures. <laughs> it was, but also, it was, they did a two-parter on, on this also, Ghost Adventures okay. did recently. Okay. And we'll talk about that as well. You know, what we think is like substantial and what might not be. And in the next episode, we're going to hear from my friend Matt Bruce, who did look around on dun, the dun, property. Dun. So... Stay tuned for the next part, part two of the Los Feliz Murder Mansion. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim. What are you watching on 100 Days of Horror? Or oh my not goodness. Days of Horror? Oh, goodness. What's funny is that, uh, yes, I started 100 Days of Horror, which is the 100 horror films I've never seen in the 100 days leading up to Halloween. So uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff. Ooh. <laughs> um, but not everything I'm going to talk about is from 100 Days of Horror. Oh, my goodness. Who is she? Well, no, because, like, okay, I've seen a bunch of... Um, a bunch of cool things lately. Uh, I actually went and saw a opening night at um, the Egyptian theater with a bunch of other people dressed in pink. I went and saw the Barbie movie. Ooh, I know you were texting me the whole time. It was great. Uh, not during the movie, though. Not during, not during the, movie. the movie. Beforehand. Uh, I'm not that person. But no, it was awesome. It was so good. And when I first heard they were making a Barbie movie, I was like, who's going to want to see this? And then I started like hearing a little bit more about it and who was directing it. And I was like, okay, this is either going to be awesome or really crappy. Uh, it was <laughs> awesome. It's, it's funny. It's um, smart. It attacks a lot of different, you know, gender things in society. Like it's, it's not subtle, but it, it, neither is Barbie. Uh, <laughs> it's been a little interesting seeing some of the backlash for the movie. And honestly, like, if you don't like the movie, that's fine. Don't like the movie. But some of the reviews I've seen from a little bit more of the, like, conservative side of things have been highly amusing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's great. There's a couple jokes that just Slap. land and then some that just, nice. yeah. And and I, I don't want to give any anything else away. I would say just go see the movie. I'm going to next week. Um, it's yes, it's I'm excited. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I started a show Ooh. that was recommended to me by um, many, many fans of Our Flag Means Death because one of the actors on the show, I believe, is going to show up at some point in the second season. So people have been losing their minds, and it's called Deadlock. Oh. Have you heard of this show? The name sounds familiar, but maybe tell me more about it so I can see if I have heard about it. <laughs> it airs on uh, Amazon Prime. Okay. It's Deadlock L-O-C-H. Yes, uh, I have heard of it, actually. Yeah, it takes place. It's a Tasmanian show. Oh. It takes place in Deadlock, Tasmania. And uh, it's this, like, tiny little town. They're prepping for a winter festival when uh, one of the locals turns up dead. And uh, it's it's that's you know pretty unusual for this kind of like 
sleepy little area. So um, they call in from the city, uh, a detective to come in. And, and the head detective, she and her wife, like, kind of argue over the fact that I think she used to be they used to live in a bigger city and it sounds like her work was kind of an issue. You, you learn mm-hmm. this pretty early on. Um, but they start tying it to other deaths that had happened and realize they have a serial killer on their hands and they're trying to investigate it. Ooh. So it is a little bit, it feels a little bit like your run of the mill, you know, BBC mystery or whatever, but it's funny. It's like ridiculously funny. And the detective they bring in from the city, Eddie, um, like she's kind of a dick and initially not the most likable person. And then she kind of grows on you. Uh, but yeah, the full first season is out on Amazon prime. It's really fun. It's uh, absolutely worth a watch. I've been <laughs> recommended it to my parents. I've been recommending it to, to kind of anyone who likes mysteries or, you know, messed up humor. Um, <laughs> but on the, on the hundred days of horror ends, uh, I watched a movie called Shark Exploitation. Oh my god! <laughs> Which is it's actually a documentary about um, shark films, and it it airs on or it's airing on Shutter, and it's just really good. I'm a sucker for a horror doc. Like I That's love yeah. love love horror documentaries. Um, there was one that Stars did a number of years ago. Um, called the the rise and fall of the slasher film and it's it's like i'll still rewatch that just because i think it's fun i love just hearing people talk about context and history and culture and how it all connects so i really loved it it's it's exactly my jam uh i nice. love shark films too i i am unapologetically into shark films everything from jaws to the meg to the shallows to i'm not that big on a i'm not a huge shark open person. water love open water yeah um, but, uh, I, I, I love shark movies. And so if you're into shark movies or into cinema history, then check it out again. It's, it's airing on shutter. Nice. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be, a, a a lot of titles <laughs> over the coming weeks. Cause I, I look at the list I have, I've been keeping lists of things I watch just mostly for my own brain. So I remember what I've mentioned and my list of things I could talk about is now alarmingly long on my ghoulish tendencies, critics corner. So can't wait. Stay tuned folks. Stay tuned. So excited. And also it was your birthday. Oh yeah. It's just your birthday. Happy (laughs) birthday, Kim. Thank you. We're going to celebrate that tonight. I'm excited. We are. Um, I know. But you did watch a horror movie on your birthday too. I know that you mentioned that too. Because obviously 100 Days of Horror, you got to do it. 100 Days of Horror, got to do it. Uh, Yeah, I actually, um, (laughs) it's, I haven't posted about it, but I suppose by the time this goes live, I will have, uh, Posted about it? Does that make sense? I, I sometimes, well, because I sometimes get a movie or two In ahead, yeah. uh, just because it's easier. <laughs> Give me one second, I need to pull the name up because I can't remember it off the top of my head. Oh, uh, I, I, yes, I watched a Norwegian horror film on my birthday called Lake of the Dead. What a great title! I love that. It's a great title. It was a good movie. Um, it was a kind of a mystery horror film. I I'm a sucker for, um, 
like black and white supernatural there's something weird happening over there something is leading us here it's this like group of of people who are visiting this cabin in the forests in in norway and cool. uh but then the person who owns the cabin they can't find him and they find his dog dead and oh. there's yeah i figured you wouldn't like that part um they uh talk about how this place was where a man killed his sister and his sister's uh, lover and then he killed himself and they start feeling this weird pull towards the lake all of the people and they're wanting to go towards the lake and then huh. like drown themselves so it's oh, this oh that's creepy it's it's really creepy it was again it was it was really good and it was a, a tight watch it's it's not it's not even a full 90 minutes long so it was a great oh, dang. i sometimes look for movies just based on their length uh but yeah lake of the dead and that's another one that i streamed on shutter so if you're into norwegian horror films i'd watch that that sounds really interesting <laughs> to me to be honest yeah but i yeah i watched that on my birthday nice what you well, been watching I've not been watching horror films, I'll tell you that much. Um, I know. Normally, I'd be into it, but um, I feel like because of the amount of research I've been doing recently, Mm. my time spent watching stuff has been more minimal. However, I did watch two entire shows. Um, One was more of a, I need something to watch to kind of like turn my brain off and have it not be uh trash tv mm-hmm. um and it's a new show on netflix called unstable hmm. with rob lowe and his son john mm-hmm. owen lowe mm-hmm. and they look so much alike and they have very similar like mannerisms and stuff and mm-hmm. so the story is basically about this like really wealthy scientist dude who has this huge company who's having like a mental breakdown because his wife died and his son needs to come in to the business to help him out and like get him more level-headed and it is funny there are some lines that's actually like not the greatest show but it's entertaining enough um Mm -hmm. and there are some like one-liners in it that are nice and there's a lot of nerd humor in it because it's just a bunch of scientists hanging out okay um and then like one woman who writes fan fiction because she wants to be admired by the entire company which is also fun because we love talking about fan fiction sometimes Mm, we do um but yeah that's it's a quick watch it's like 30 to 40 minute episodes and it's fast so if you want something easy to watch, that's fun. Um, and I also watched a show that was recommended to me on Discovery Plus and hmm. did not realize until I looked it up just now when it came out. And it's The Killing Season. Oh, yeah. And I had never seen it. But the reason I was intrigued was because it speaks spe- it speaks specifically about the Gilgo Beach murders, mm-hmm. which has been in the news lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Obviously, when this came out in 2016, what is known now was not known then. Oh, of course, yeah. So yeah. it was really interesting to like learn more about these just different like groups of murders of women um, mm-hmm. in different parts of the country. It wasn't even just in Gilgo Beach and Long Island. It's mm-hmm. all over from Daytona Beach to literally like all all over. Um, mm-hmm. And how they could potentially be connected and, like, why are sex workers so disposable? Um, And, like, the talk behind, you know, what happened to these people and why were the police not working harder to get this information? Um, Which is sad and honestly, like, a theme we have seen. A pattern. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but the two people that work on it um, are named Joshua Zeman uh, and Rachel Mills, and they are investigative journalists that that in basically research, investigate, and try to find out more information about what happened to these women. Um, and they end up connecting a lot of stuff that hadn't been connected up until that point. Uh. So it was a really great watch. It was done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found it to be really engaging, which sometimes documentaries like this can fall off really quick. Sure. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I actually like binged it super hard, <laughs> and mm. watched it back to back. It was originally on A&E, um, mm-hmm. but it's on Discovery Plus now. So if you have Discovery Plus, you can watch it there. Um, I think it's relevant to what's going on now since more information has come out about Absolutely. the killer. Um, if you want to learn more about that, check it out. The Killing Season. It's really good. Um, nice. Yeah, that's what I've been watching. I also have been watching Ghost Adventures, which I'm going to talk <laughs> about on the next episode for Creepy Critics <laughs> Corner. Teaser. Teaser. It was bad. Um, <gasps> what? This is my oh, shocked no. face. I know. It's but shocked. Also, Here's my like, face. Some of the information was accurate this time, which was interesting. Oh, well, that's a Who knew? delightful change of pace. Right? Um, we don't hate them. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, anywho, the, this episode is a little shorter than anticipated, <clears throat> but it's because we're doing two-parter, baby. Mm-hmm. So um, stay tuned for episode 102, which will be part two of the Los Feliz Murder Mansion. Mm-hmm. Um and I can't wait to talk about it next week. So Woo-hoo. having said that, thank you for listening. Uh, if you like what we do, check us out on our Instagram, social medias. Just look up the Ghoulish Tendencies podcast. You will find <laughs> all of our stuff. Um, but on Patreon, you'll also find some extra content, some things like Ghoulside Chats, where mm-hmm. we talk about a topic that maybe you're curious about our opinion on. And how we feel about i don't know horror films or certain (laughs) ones of the past or like why is true crime the way it is uh lots of different (laughs) topics that we do discuss that you can listen to if you are a ghoul on our patreon Mm -hmm. um and if you like what we do but don't want to contribute financially just give us a rating and review we really appreciate that too on uh, apple podcasts or spotify and having said that thank you for listening Stay spooky!